welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by MAP. My name is Alex Clements and if you do need some new kit, the weather's starting to warm up here in the Southern Hemisphere um, and MAP have just released their new latest season styles, updated colours uh, and their proven favourites in the Eco Pro base layer, the Flare Pro jersey and an all new line of jackets and vests. But also if you are up north, uh, starting to cool down, they've also refined their deep winter jackets, weatherproof rain jackets, light, wet, packable vests for all those unpredictable days in the uh, throughout the winter months. So if you do need some new kit, uh, make sure you head to map.cc to check out their latest range. We've also created a survey with our friends at Harper, the marketing consultancy powered by well-trained and open minds that focus on business growth. Now, they're focusing on our business growth and how we design the podcast for season four. So it would be much appreciated if you could just spare a couple of minutes to run through the survey, which is in this podcast notes or on the YouTube, or you can find it through the socials. We're keen to hear what you think of the show, what are your favorite segments, what you want to hear more of. And so you can access that via the link in this bio. That would be greatly appreciated. On to today's, today's episode, we uh, have Dr. David Spindler back on the podcast. As I mentioned at the start of the show, he's been on initially in 2019 to talk about his career and how he was led to psychology. And then into at the start of this year, we talk about his PhD on uh, happy watts and free watts and the performance benefits you get from being mentally happy on the bike. And then today we talk about the psychology of COVID. We go through uh, how his roles changed, how athlete demand has changed, how athlete load has changed through this time off. And then we're also fortunate enough that he was at the Giro when Teo Gagenhart took the pink jersey. So he runs us through Teo's approach, which is very interesting. Interesting to hear what what it was like from someone that was observing, someone that was helping Teo throughout the Giro and at the end of the day they t- they took home the chocolates with the pink jersey on the final time trial uh, and then we wrap things up with a little bit about um, why he thinks these young athletes have thrived this year uh, and also how he, if if there's any changes heading into uh, Tokyo 21. Thanks again to MAP. If you haven't already make sure you check out their kit at map.cc the survey link is in this podcast notes uh, and the also there's also links to our older episodes with David Spindler. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast. My name is Alex Clements. I'm here with Dr. David Spindler for the third time now. You're a um, you're a regular. We uh, if you haven't caught up already, we did an initial podcast which talked which went into the uh, your career that was with Campbell that was back in 2019 start of 2019 yeah Cadells, I think yeah Cadells. then uh the start of this year I caught up with you we chatted about uh or the big the big um talking point was your theory on uh free watts or happy watts on um a study that you're doing My PhD. and so if your PhD. So if you want to see that, that's in our archives. Uh, and then today we're here, you're in Perth, you're in quarantine. We're going to chat about the COVID year, the psychological effect of the COVID year. 
So welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, in lockdown here in uh, a lovely hotel room in Perth for the next uh, 14 days. So, um, yeah, had nothing to do. So here we are. Mm. So your your role this year, same same as every other year, working with athletes. You've got athletes within your suite, um, but a roller coaster year for them. Lots of uncertainty uh, around the racing, around the teams, around pay, around what's next, around safety. Uh, what what happened in terms of your work? Um, oh, I got busy um, yeah. quite quickly, actually, uh, around UAE tour. Even sort of my situation, we changed. So we stayed in Australia, so my family, in and around the, the whole COVID period. Um, my children, so I have a daughter who has some special needs and it um, meant that uh, it wasn't viable for us to go into Europe. So they... They stayed at home. Uh, when it comes to my athletes, it was a very difficult year for them because uh, there's a lot of there was a lot of uncertainty initially. First of all, the guys at the UAE tour were locked in a hotel room like I am now, but didn't have any real uh, idea of when they could get out. So um, that was the initial excrement hitting the fan, and. Uh, yeah, so from that, it just sort of escalated really quickly. Uh, me doing a lot of work from uh, my place in Shell Harbour, Australia, and uh, doing a lot of Zoom calls and Skype and WhatsApp and um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of athletes ringing me to say, can we please work together? I'm struggling. So, yeah, sort of business got quick really, really quickly, and I wish it didn't. But uh, it did, yeah. What, were they struggling with things that wouldn't be occurring in a normal COVID year? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, first of all, it was their career was effectively finished, pretty much. They didn't know what but what or how a global pandemic, pandemic sorry, would do to what their sport is. The sport, their means of joy, their means of happiness, their means of income had just ceased within a 24-hour period. And then from that, there was was a few teams that decided that um, they'd cut the pay of riders. And for for various reasons, um, whether people agree with that or not, it's it's, um, not really for for discussion. However, um, there's a lot of athletes that um, needed that income. Um, and the full income to then, you know, they need to live too. And uh, I put a lot of pressure on quite a quite a few athletes uh, financially just by uh, teams deciding that they'd uh, they cut pay. Yes, they were, what, they were uh, what 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 do you go through with an athlete when they come to you? They go, David Mitchell and Scott's just cut my pay by seventy percent, or yada yada yada. What? What kind of process do you go through? Yeah, Um, yeah, Bahrain, um, everyone else. Yeah, there was a few. First of all, take stock. A lot of the time we'd actually have a financial conversation of where they were, what they actually needed to survive, how they could, you know, move forward and and what their burn rate was specifically. And um, and then from that, you can uh, start to minimise some anxiety in regards to and financial security more than anything, and uh, mm. and then try and try and get them to 
be a little bit more cognizant of, of where they where they were in, in in life and and if they could sort of how, how long they they could survive on that thirty percent um, or whatever mm. or some were fifty some were yeah how long they could survive and that kind of once they took stock a, a lot of the time that anxiety was minimised however you know it's obviously a lot of lost money that um, there's a lot of guys there that are yeah, professional cyclists aren't on um, some are on quite a small wage but a lot of them are on a, a rather large amount of money and, and when you lose 70 percent of the income that's a significant that, that's a significant uh amount of money that's lost so yes yeah, that was that was a huge driver of a lot of people yeah or well, especially when they've got such a short bracket of time to yep. earn their money yeah and if you rip, they didn't rip. Have, they had no idea of when that when that income would then resume and then yeah. also throw in there the team longevity. Yep. Yeah. Not just not just that too. Like they all like preface, prefacing that with um, every single athlete knew that there was a lot of you know other people within society that were that lost their jobs and had lost humans within their family. You know, to to the global mm. pandemic. So it's not that it wasn't a um, a selfish thing by any stretch of the imagination, but however, it was a stressor, so therefore, it had to be um, worked through. Yeah. Was it in? Do you think it was? Um, as you said, there's so many. There's financial is one element of it, and there's also the fact that there is a global pandemic, and they're locked in their Spanish apartment or wherever they are. Does does that yep. kind of inflame the situation? Yeah, because you, you end up vortexing yourself. Because you yeah. actually your, your frontal lobe, you, you, they sort of kicks in, and you go through all of the the scenarios, the what ifs, and then you know it just spirals downwards quite quickly if you don't have somebody that you can actually have a have a conversation with. And that wasn't me specifically, but you know, a lot of athletes just went to their managers or went to mentors or whoever. But yeah, some some came to me. You mentioned before the the joy aspect. It's not just a profession, the source of income. That is one element of it. Do you think uh, for athletes, this was like maybe the first time that that had been actually ripped away from them? That was the first time that that actually maybe experienced uh, a world without cycling for um, who knows how long? Athletics in general, like, yeah. not, just, not just cycling, just them without being able to move. Not only, excuse me, their income source, but it's, I think in the last podcast that we did, we were talking about what happens when you retire with, with the, you know, the dopamine and serotonin in your brain that needs activity to then think that it's still healthy. You train for the classics and then stop and do four-fifths of nothing for other six weeks, six to eight weeks your brain thinks it's retired. Mm. So it's going to go into that. It's going to think that it's slightly down at the very least, you know. I had some pretty gut-wrenching but also rather hilarious at times conversations with athletes about about the lockdown procedure. I had one athlete thinking that they were going to uh, buy a jet ski to get them across the English Channel because they were uh, <laughs> stuck on one side and, and uh, their family was on another. That was, uh, yeah. that was, that was pretty impressive. Yeah. We like on the 
like kind of retirement piece, they almost get like a a sample of what it's like. Like, is this almost yeah. a positive for some of them that are, or kind of anyone? It's anyone that's in their professional career. It's like okay, that like that's coming. Yeah, and and I think there'd be a lot of athletes now, um, not just in cycling, uh, looking to transition better, or actually at least thinking about it, which is can only be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So did your role um, increase with their coaches with with that, like you talked about having that six weeks off. Um, or that time off or what happens when you stop cycling completely. Um, yep. Were you working with their coaches a bit more? Oh, some. Yeah, some coaches. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there was a lot of different theories on how to get through this, that lockdown period or, or just get through to the start of racing again whenever that was going to be. And there was a really – there's a period there where there was no set date, which was – that was the most difficult from a professional perspective, um, not just for me because of though I was dealing with a lot of athletes, but also from the athlete side because they had no end date to this. And they didn't know when that could start again. So that was – and then how, how uh, each team wanted their athletes to, to either maintain fitness or, or keep fitness somehow or because no – no one was saying it's going to be on the 5th of June, you're going to start whatever. So that wasn't happening in April. Mm. So it was a very so what, was a difficult time. Yeah. So if, if a coach came to you in April and said, mm-hmm. well, what should I do? I've got this and this unknown start date. How, how do I train my, and I've never been in this situation before. How do I train my athlete? I, I don't that conversation never happened with me. That's for a lot of them. Had, like a lot of the teams just went into into their own sort of lockdown themselves and went, okay, this is how we're going to deal with our athletes. This is this is how we'd like them to be to be trained and how the structure within our team will, will look like. And then from there, um, the athletes to say, okay, I've got you know, some athletes were doing you know, twenty five hours on a trainer, but there's others that did eight. Mm. So. Um, a week that is, but um, and then there's there's ones that I'm like, okay, I'm just in a maintenance phase until they tell me a date, and then I'm going to rev up. And there's others that go, oh, no, no, I'm I'm training through this, and then by the time I get out, I'm going to be bombing. It worked for some, both both ways uh, worked, and both <laughs> ways didn't. Um, yeah, so I don't think there was the right there was a right or wrong. It just um, yeah. That, some some did exceptional and 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 others not so much. Mm. We did a um we had like a look back at the year um, last week on the podcast with Campbell and we looked at like some of the teams that came out. Obviously there was Quickstep, which is just almost always dominant. Um, but looking at Sunweb and not a surprise Jumbo, but Jumbo really stepped up to the plate. Do you think they managed it better? Is that is that come does that come from a team level? Does that come from this part, or is that a much longer process that was kind of started years ago? I think both actually is my my opinion. Um, so um, the if, if you have a look at Visma, they've got a really massively science backed um, program now, 
um, they've recruited um, backroom staff that are that are um, world leaders in their field when it comes to sports science and nutrition and um, uh, exercise fears. Like all, uh, they've got some amazing um, people within that team, and uh, that are ahead of the curve um, when it comes to performance, high performance, um, and that shows. Also, one of the bigger budgets as well um, to be able to do that. Uh, Sunweb have a really structured program. Um, they've got really good staff as well. And uh, yep, Ineos is exactly the same. So I think there wasn't a, a, a massive worry. The ones that did really well didn't really put a lot of worth in uh, virtual racing, put it that way, um, yeah. in the lockdown. And they're more worried about the racing at the end. Um, yeah. So we're more worried about real racing rather than virtual. That's yeah. Is um? Do you have any athletes inside Quick Quick Step? Uh, maybe. Maybe is it is it well is it um like a see because I think it's it's reasonably public that somewhere especially and now Jumbo super scientific super high level. What's going on Quick Step? They like ha, like is. Is that maybe the science isn't as hot, but the, just the culture is just wild? It's just out of control? This, this. So the, uh, there's a release of a hormone named oxytocin um, that is pretty much the love drug, actually, but also it bonds humans together. Um, it makes people um, give more of themselves um, as, as a result of, culture which is kind of what that oxytocin release really is when it comes to the neuroscience um which then releases the other chemicals that we were talking about in the last podcast that dopamine serotonin release um and they just give more of themselves because they're actually bonded together and it actually means something to be a part of that team um Mm. so that wolf that wolf pack is is not just a marketing ploy um, I think uh, whether they wanted to or not, they've created a a, um, a a culture of giving more of themselves for the benefit of others. Yeah, so that's why they do. I think they do so well. But also, they have that. They've got a really good science background too. Like they, um, they know what they're doing and what it comes, how to get athletes um, to perform at their highest level, physically mm. and psychologically. If but also if, have. 15 guys that they back and win yeah we're gonna they got yeah. 15 guys that can win every day so yeah so yeah julie julian alaflotes didn't win the world championship off just culture no no uh exceptional it's, talent yeah uh, how, how, how do you design that like how is that created um well, uh if i knew that there'd be i'd be a I wouldn't work in cycling, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of higher, higher paying uh, sports that were up, that look after that sort of that have been trying to to figure that out for you know, since sport existed. It's a difficult one, and a, a lot of it has to do with I, I think is getting personalities that are that are like minded, and, and and getting them to to deliver and and to be happy. That somebody else is winning, mm. so especially within cycling for sure. But 
no, it's different in basketball or in, or another sport. But um, yeah. Have you yeah, have I, you done any work if, with? If I actually, if, if I knew that question, yeah, I, yep. You wouldn't have time to talk to me. No. Um, <laughs> do you, do you do any work with Lefebvre? Have you come Have you come across him in your athlete workings at all? Um, not personally, no. Um, so I have athletes that um, that have worked with him and. Uh, not over most definitely so you can say whatever you like about um about um how he deals with his team but he backs his athletes yeah without fail without uh, fail it doesn't matter what that athlete does he'll take the heat for that athlete and mm. then deal with that whatever the ramifications of that in-house um, and as a team principal, um, that then gets the athlete to to deliver and, and be able to, to say, no, no, Pat's got my back, Patrick got my back. So I, I'll, I will do what it takes to, you know, I'll go above and beyond what I need to, you know. So have a look at Julian Alaphilippe at um, do the World Champs or somewhere this year. He actually was hugging um, Patrick Lefebvre and saying, did I do a good job? Yeah. So, which is, it means that they seek the approval of their boss, which is amazing. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, and, that, that's a special environment. Yeah. And you look at the yield that they get on their race year. It's just wild. Yep. The results, yep. it's out of control. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then I, th- I think that was, that was, proven if you would doubt that at all at the Giro when all of a sudden they held the pink jersey for three quarters of the race. Yeah. They just yeah, they, um, is that, success. I've forgotten his name. Almeida, is that right? Almeida, yeah. Yeah. Has his own share of talent to be able to do that in the first place. But you have a look at the their, their mountain support, go above and beyond just because of that is, uh, yeah, that was – I think that was a cause for concern for quite a few teams. You were at the Giro, or were you not at the Giro? Were you at home? Yep, I was there. I was, uh, was, there? I was there for the first 10 days or 12 days or something. Yeah. Yeah. So Inside there, uh, Team Ineos? Yes. Yes. Sorry. You were there for the roller coaster. The ge- Which the one? Big, the big build up, well, the start of the roller coaster, the big build up yeah. for Geraint, the huge yep. build up for Geraint. Everyone wanted just to see. The, the last year's Tour de France winner, go out, go out the Giro to see what he can do. COVID's, COVID's coming in. All of a sudden, Geraint's out of the race. Teams, uh, Ineos are on the back foot. Gana comes out of the holes and just, well, oh, he also won the opening stage, yeah. which which we somewhat forget because it was so long ago. Um, oh, I don't forget it. That was yeah, bloody impressive. Like I, the, the, amount, the amount of uh, power that come out of uh, – they got put down on that bike is that's bloody impressive. But, uh, is it? Yeah. Is it more than you've ever seen? For that weight, oh, it's, yeah. more, it's more than anyone. Like yes, yeah. yeah. For that for that time frame, it is. Well, it is world leading. Yeah. Mm. Well, obviously, he's got the rainbow yeah. stripes on his back, not by chance. Yeah. 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 It. Uh, a 4K record too. Exactly. Talk to me about that first week within the team. 
Um, so I went there uh, to help them with their um, cognitive strategies around the time trial. Um, obviously worked with Rowan Dennis a bit and uh, they, the, the team had asked me to come in and, and give them a little bit of a hand in regards to the way um, so thought processes and also um, the way that they speak to their athletes. Um, so cues and stuff like that in around the time trial. Um, and um, so I was there for, from, from the start all the way through to just after the first rest day. And um, so really that uh, impressive buildup. Um, if you just think of the way that um, the people who did that first stage in the rainbow jersey, in his home country, with everyone thinking that if he doesn't win this thing, he's failed, and he delivered. Like that's this. There's not that many places where you just you're like, oh, I was there for that. That was impressive, you know. And I don't think that got the that got the um, the amount of um, recognition publicity and recognition yeah. that that actually took because the amount of cognitive control that, that people needed to actually be able to deliver and control that emotion, have that cognitive control to be at, to, to actually put down a performance like that is, uh, yeah, that's something else. And I was actually in the car for Rowan's and for Rowan's TT and I've never, like I was scared in the car how windy it was. Like he nearly come down four or five times in that TT and uh, about, I think it was halfway through, there was a, an arch going over the road um, and there was these plastic barriers on either side of this arch that we had to go through. And Rowan was like 150 metres from this arch and the wind blew the barriers closed. Like, <laughs> myself and, and, um, and one of the DS's, Ollie Cookson, um, said all of the four letter words under the sun, Rowan, pumped his brakes and luckily enough two policemen um, opened the gates for him pretty much so he can actually keep going. But I've never been as scared for somebody, some, somebody's well-being while they're competing ever. That was, yeah, that's, Rowan had no chance before he even started. Oh, not, not before he started, but had, had no chance after the top of that climb. So mm. that wind was just, oof, that was hooking. Yeah, that was scary. But yeah. uh, and then from there, uh, people had the the pink for quite a while, and then I actually can't remember the stage. But maybe four. Um, G decided that he'd have a bit of a lay down, um, like the look of a bottle, and um, yeah, broke his broke his pelvis, and uh, yeah, that was a pretty devastating blow. Um, not only for him personally, but um, yeah, for the whole team. And um, actually, at the at the um, at the bus um, after that happened, and and uh, having a conversation with Dave Brailsford, and he was already saying, "Well, this is a great opportunity for us to 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 change our style and um, and to win as many stages as we can because we don't get this opportunity very often." And um, he delivered a, a really rousing speech is probably the wrong word, but um, uh, talk to, to staff and athletes in regards to, to that. And that's actually stuck with me. That was 
possibly one of the most impressive displays of a of a of management that I'd seen. Yeah, and what do you say? I think I uh, just literally what I said before. Just we have this opportunity now. We have, you know, uh, I think seven other athletes that are that have the ability to to deliver exactly what we need out of this. Maybe we we may not get to Milan in pink. However, we can win like just about every stage that's that's coming up. And they did. They had like they had this. They had the 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 personnel to be able to win anything that they wanted. Yeah, poor G had to had to go home, and uh, at, at very very tough period for him. Still feel for him actually. Like a, um, e- even though the team had a unbelievable success. Yeah, when when you put that much being on the regime for that long to get to the like, quite literally the form of his life at the start of that Giro, um, so far, I'll say, um, to, uh, yeah, to come down in the feed zone before he can actually deliver. Very tough mentally. And then, uh, yeah, the rest the rest was a bit of a roller coaster from then. It's pretty impressive. Mm. Then Gatter was back on the hunt, picking up mountain yep. stages. Was he, he just running the mountain stages? Was he just running on everything after winning that opening TT? He's got Italy behind him. He had the pink jersey for a little bit. Was he just unstoppable? Uh, I don't, unstoppable, or is, is, or is that just is that just tour. is that just him? Is that just what what we're what we need to expect for the next five um, ten? I years? don't think that. Uh, no, I don't think that. I think the very targeted. Um, the team were very targeted in the way that they used their personnel to stage hunt. Um, one thing that gets also doesn't get much publicity is Ben Swift run, like, I think, top 22nd or something in the Giro. Like, no one said that. Like, he's a sprinter <laughs> and he gets, like, it, what they got out of, what Ineos got out of that, that Giro will, is far beyond impressive. Yeah, mm. so, um, but uh, Pipo uh, targeted some stages and and delivered every single time. Whether that continues is um, yet to be determined, but, um, yeah, he's definitely on fire there, that's for sure. He's in a purple patch. How did his uh, cognitive load, is that the right term, mm-hmm. yep. compare from that opening TT where he'd just come off the back of the worlds, he... Um, had Italy on his shoulders, literally. Yeah. First, first ever Grand Tour stage. First ever Grand Tour versus stage. that second TT stage. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so it was his first ever Grand Tour stage and he won the pink jersey on his first stage ever. So, like, it, that is just mind-blowing. But um, uh, that, se- that second one, that was really a race between two bike riders and they were in the same team. Ryan was on a stumper and really delivered exactly what um, he thought was needed. And, uh, and Pipo, um, yeah, bettered him. Um, and uh, yeah, from, there's some power numbers there that are just as impressive as the first ones. That's for sure. But mm. uh, yeah, it, 
definitely in a in a vein of form that um, that's rarely seen. That's for sure. When did Teo emerge? When was there whispers of Teo becoming the GC lead? Not well, obviously he was the GC lead, but when did it become start the rumors? Well, not rumors, but murmurs started going around that Teo could win this Grand Tour. What that he could actually win it, or that he'd go, but that we can be on the podium. All right. Let's so yeah. First of all, all right. Let's let's aim for the podium. Okay. So he lost, I think, uh, a minute and a half or something like that mm. on Etna. So and and there, time in the opening TT. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so from there, he's by far the best bike rider in the race. From Etna on like by far the best bike rider and sorry australia but that's the truth um <laughs> and um, all the listeners in perth just t- tuned out yeah yeah well, well that's facts um and um so he he'd always been in that top 10 ish and it was always uh, i got asked by uh tim kerrison to give him a to give Tail a bit of a hand in regards to the how how he was getting through the Giro and beyond, and uh, the first whisper of that was maybe the TT. I'm trying to get onto the podium now. That second TT, and then then try and do something in the the mountains before the Stelvio stage to see actually where he was, but actually in relation to to uh, the other climbers in the race, uh, specifically Jai and Wilco. What is so it? What do they ask you? What do they say? What, what are the athletes in that scenario where Taylor is going, all right, so I'm, I'm going to make it to the podium. What, what, what are they worried about? Or what are they query about? So what we did with Tao is make sure that he didn't know what was going on was going on. So we reduce that cognitive load of him doing that by using others within his team to get him to do what we or what the team needed him to do. So he was oblivious is the wrong word, but um, he, 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 he was just having a lot of fun, um, making, sure that, uh, making sure that he was in the right spot at the right time and, and riders like, like Rowan and Ben and... Who else was there? Uh, the, the seven other bike riders or six other bike riders that were there were actually getting him um, in a spot where he could actually deliver when he needed to deliver. So minimise the amount of kilojoules that were expended to then have them when they when they're needed. Yeah. Without saying at the start of the stage, Tao, you're the guy. Like, yeah. come on, yeah. come on, boy, get yeah. to work. But that was only really Sestri. Uh, sorry, the Stelvio that that changed fractionally. It was like, let's do everything. Um, uh, do, uh, and that was like uh, Swifty start climbing and then Rowan's on Swifty's wheel and then um, and then uh, Tao behind. And there was some, uh, sh- uh, some gamesmanship when it came to, uh, to the way that uh, Ineos used their uh, communication to then make another team think that they were uh, in a more commanding position than they were. Is, is that 
is that the only opportunity he's ever going to have to be in that scenario? Every oh, race going not. forward, he's he's the he's the leader. He's got all all the pressure on his shoulders. Oh, no, I don't think so. I, I, I think it'd be very uh, like you have a look at the amount of um, grand tour talent that um, Ineos has on their roster. Um, you'd be quite naive to think that that he'd be a sole leader within his development moving forward for at least a couple of years, I think. I think there was, like he wasn't a sole leader going in for a start. No, that was that was G. I hope it's not his, like, I believe it's not his only opportunity to win a Grand Tour and he took that opportunity. I, I think he's got definitely more opportunities in the future. But I think it's just come earlier than what anyone expected, that's for sure. Versus over at Team Sunweb, mm-hmm. Wilco's got like Wilco's got his name written on the on the top of the podium. He knows it. He can feel it. The team's riding for him. Yep. So at minimum podium chance, you'd think mm. um, at Sunweb. So um, I do research with one of the sports scientists at Sunweb named Dr. Dio Sanders, who trains Jai and um, and Wilco. And um, it's actually one of my best friends within cycling, within one of my favourite colleagues, at least. And um, so we had this this great little game of Ineos versus Sunweb. So both of his riders, Jai and Wilco, doing extremely well. Like there's very few people in the world that have trained athletes, two athletes, to a, to the same podium of a Grand Tour. That what? just in itself is amazing. It just so happened that a rider that I was working with at the time bettered his rider. So there was really conflicting emotions when it came to um, our friendship on a couple of days there, that's for sure. And then what about what about Teo coming into that Stelvio stage? Yeah. What what was he what was he thinking? What was he asking at that point? Um all, all was asked of him was to hold on to Rowan's wheel. And then hold which on was, to Wilco's Which wheel. was proven to be more than enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and in all honesty, if Rowan actually at some stage writes a book about this, he could have gone harder. So he was, that's probably one of the best days that Rowan's ever had on a bike. That's still the day. Yeah. So it was literally just make sure that once um, Wilco was in trouble, um, it was what do we have to do to, maximise Jai's cognitive load um, and to mess with him as much as possible mentally um, to get him to do what we needed him to by the TT at the end. And the strategy was for Rowan to tear the bunch to absolute smithereens? No, Swifty, actually. Yeah, Swifty and then Rowan. So, But it was going too slow and Rowan got a little bit uh, trigger happy. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, blew everyone apart. Yeah, yeah. There was but as uh, as Rowan started to go, Swifty looked over him and and said some few uh, said a, said a a nice couple of words. It was like, oh, I, I when, when am I going to get a go? And yeah, Rowan just went off. Yeah, uh, and uh, to quote Chris, to quote to quote Chris Hamilton of Team Somewhere. I was sprinting on Rowan's wheel, trying to hang on as he yeah. uh, launched himself up the Stelvio. Mm-hmm. What 
talk about talk to us about Rowan's Giro in the sense that for the first time in a while he's not the fastest TTR, probably the yep. second fastest. But then but then to pull off arguably the performance, two performances that won the Giro for Teo, like Oh no, Teo won it himself. Like that's um, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. Um one of the like Teo won that like won that Giro. Um and I think Rowan shaped it. Yeah. Highly shaped it. Um but um yeah um I think it's a it's a little bit of a misnomer when it comes to people saying that um that Rowan what like won the Giro for Teo. Um mm. Uh, yeah, sorry, I've, I've lost the question. But back to Rowan, Rowan's 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 Giro. How does it affect an athlete when they go from that top step and all of a sudden there's a not not a new kid on the block? Everyone knew who Ganna was, but he's stepped up to the plate. He's delivering. Yeah, how does how does that affect an athlete? So our Giro and Worlds preparation. So when we found out, um, and I'm saying we as a collective we here. When Rowan found out uh, World Championships were on a flat course, 30 kilometres, we knew that there was going to be a very difficult proposition to to deliver. It would have had to be one of his best days ever to even hang with um, Pipo. He went out in that World Championships to win. He's not interested in getting on the podium at all. Doesn't interest him. So he went out on a strategy to keep with Filippo Ganna on that first split. And we actually were within where we needed to be on that first split. And uh, he couldn't hold that on the, the cross tail on the way home. And bloody impressive by Filippo Ganna. But during that preparation, we also knew that he needed one of his major goals from whenever we started to work together was he wants to be a part of a Grand Tour winning team. That had never happened in all of his, in his entire career. And one of, the, one of the massive things as well is a lot of the mainstream media think that Rowan's selfish and does everything for himself. And, and anyone that has actually been, that knows him anywhere other than the mainstream media knows that that's 100% not the case. And if you want to, if you want to make Rowan extremely angry, you'd say to him, you're not a team player because um, he will show you how much that he is. And one of the, the biggest joys uh, of mine when it came to um, Rowan's performances in the Giro was the fact that he silenced a lot of critics when it came to him being a team player, when it comes to producing performances in regards to whatever T-shirt that he's in, that's for sure. And, um, yeah, there's been very highly publicised critiques on on Rowan Dennis um, in, in regards to his character, and that character was shown, given the right environment, to be the one that I've always known and most of the people around him have always known. Yeah, so that was impressive. Made me very happy, that's for sure. Yeah. I can imagine him being a very happy camper as he stomped his way up Stelvio. Oh, um, actually, Stelvio thing was just like, yeah, that's impressive. Like that was, he's on a stomper. You could tell, we can tell 
the one that was unbelievably impressive was his history air. That was mm. even better. But that was just like, whoa, he's, yeah. Yeah, like as a, as even from a, from an outsider, like just as a pure spectator, that was a spectacle of a performance. Mm. That accessory here, that was him looking across to, to Jai and just giving him a smile and just going, mate, and just sort of shaking his head like, what are you doing? And just riding past him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Wait, on, so if we look at the Giro, we had Jai, Tao, like you said, maybe. Mm-hmm. Not a surprise that they were performing like they are, but... I think it's fair to say it was a bit ahead of time. It wasn't like, all right, this is the year for Tao to win a Grand Tour, for Jai to finish on the podium, for yeah, but if, even um, Almeida to, um, yeah. to be in the pink, Hershey to dominate, Pogatar to win the Tour. The youth rose to the top in the COVID year. Can you talk about that from a psychological perspective on athletes, younger guys, how they've managed it and, the outcome of it? Um, so I have my own little theory on that, whether it's true or not. So another thing, when you when you just come into, the year was that fractured that the younger generation did really well dealing with that change where they kind of just roll with the punches and like, oh, okay, it is what it is and I'm just going to keep going, where the, the guys that had been been around for a little bit longer, um, seemed to struggle with that with with some notable exceptions, like R Port being one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> had a, had a, did okay this year. And, yeah, so um, there's a few notable exceptions to that. But um, the rise of the, of the youth psychologically, I don't think that there's as much of a – hierarchy anymore either within the peloton but they're not put in their place so to speak so they can just go out and win for winning's sake mm. which is impressive which is really good where you know i wasn't around in the within professional cycling in the 90s and 2000s but i don't know if that happened um, previously but it's definitely um slowly moved forward even ramco vanapol right yeah before he yeah. Poor Remco. Uh, he's just forgotten well, about. <laughs> yeah, well. He was unbelievable at the start of the year. Yeah. Yeah, you come, you come out pretty hot. But, yeah, so the youth can actually – they don't know any different. So they can – you know, they, they don't have a eight, nine, ten season long, I do it this way. And my season starts at openings weekend. You know, or my season starts uh, Torino or whatever. They're like, oh no, my season. Who cares if my season starts in the middle of June? It doesn't yeah. matter. Where I think that messed with the heads of a, quite a few athletes. Yeah. So do you think uh, next year we could see a, a or a level, or assuming next year's normal, maybe not even next year, the year after? Fingers crossed. Uh, we could see those older guys that maybe lacked a bit this year come back into the back into the norm. We're not seeing a, a shift of all of a sudden it's just going to be normal for a twenty-one-year-old, twenty-two-year-old to win the Tour de France. Uh, no, uh, 
you have a look like Roglic still won the Vuelta. Yeah. Like Richie still got third at the at the tour. Well, you know, like there's still some old guys that older guys. Like it's not all 21 year olds winning everything. Like there's some. There's there's more than there probably there ever has been, but they've also got access to training methods that are uh, that are more highly um, tuned than maybe they have been had they have in the past as well. So mm. you know, every twelve year old's got a power meter these days. Yeah, <laughs> good and bad. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and for for what it's worth, yeah. Yeah. So that those those methods uh, are changing. So we're but heading into any sport, I suppose. You look at yeah. the soccer, the, the football. They have they have youth academies that are eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, we're heading into an Olympic year again for the second time. Yeah. Take two. Yeah. I think this was a discussion at the last podcast where we were talking about uh, that. That was pre pre COVID days. Um, what's that looking like? You're working um, with not Rowan, sure, yeah. Specifically, yeah, I've got, or... a few, I've got a few going to the Olympics. Not overly sure at the moment. The whole Olympic thing is there's a grey area there at the moment. I think it'll go ahead. I'm pretty. I think everyone's thinking that it will. It's going to change a few people's thought processes. I think it's there's a lot of tension within track programs across the world that are struggling um, with with an extra year. And I think that's going to be the same on the road, um, just because a whole year was there's, there's athletes that are going specifically for the Olympics, and that's a major target. And then that has to then go across to the the following year, which detracts um, somewhat from their trade teams. So I think there's going to be a little bit of uh, tension at times when it comes to teams in the Olympics, when it comes to athletic. The, the psychological aspects are exactly the same. It's just the goalposts move from 20 to 21. It's the same goalposts. They're still exact, they look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But nothing's nothing's really changed from my perspective. It's still the same build-ups, the same. But I think there's going to be some tensions elsewhere, that's for sure, and also some extra thought processes in regards to COVID and and how and how that's going to look at the, at the Olympics? So you can't just rock up to Tokyo. Like, what does it mm. look like? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, how does it affect your research? In terms of, I know last time when we caught up about the Happy Watts, the actual the actual paper you write was yep. in the hands of was it the German Cycling Federation? FES, yeah. That's still after Tokyo. Yeah. So they get another yeah. year of so, it. Yeah, so my affiliation's moved. So I'm now at the University of Maastricht working with um, Dr. Dyer Sanders and um, under the Neutrum Lab there. And um, But all of those papers will, uh, will be delivered when they're outside of uh, non-disclosure clauses. Is there more research going on right now? You, you want you want to like the next project, not the next project, the continuation of the, of the yeah of the of the uh, data set that we've got. How how long do you see that going for? Well, Forty six now, hopefully for as long as possible. 
yeah, I enjoy doing it. So, is there like is there like a question that you like? I just or any, something that's like I just need to work that out. I just need to solve that. Oh yeah, there's lots of them. There's lots and lots of them. Yeah, there's there's yeah, I, that's one thing I can't really say too much about. But yeah, there's questions there that are whether they remain unsolvable. Um, I'm not sure, but there's lots of things. So what makes what makes a stomper? What makes Rowan do what he do on the Stelvio? What makes uh, an example Roglic do what Roglic did at hmm. on Plage de Belfield? What makes Taddy do what Taddy did on Plage de Belfield? Yeah. So that's not that's a good that's a good question. That's a good question to answer. So always obviously we'll be big fans of your work since the start. Um, big believers in uh, your role in a team in, in terms of how you see cycling now and how you've seen it kind of evolve. I think I ask you this question every podcast. Are they adopting psychology more? Is it being taken on? Are athletes being well looked after? Not sure. This year's been a difficult one um, in regards to my work because it's just oh, and not just mine, sports scientists, trainers, swaneurs, team principals, everyone's had a, um, a year that they'd rather sort of move on from. So we're in the same position, I think, hmm. um, as this time last year. So athletes, I think, are taking it upon themselves a little bit more, um, especially with this whole pandemic thing. I think they've decided that they've needed extra help. Not, you know, there's, there's lots of lots of people that do that. I'm, I'm not the only one that does athlete well, welfare stuff. Yeah, so from what I understand, athletes are getting a little bit more versed in what's needed to provide themselves with health care. But, um, yeah, when it comes to team stuff, I'm, I'm outside of a team, so I don't really know. Is uh, bureaucratic capacity... Almost, you can't take yeah. on, yeah. So there, there is yeah. high demand. Yeah, whether that's high demand for athlete welfare stuff or my other strategies that I use to sort of cognitive control stuff. Yeah, I have different sections of my business. Um, so, yeah, like I, I always, I think we've spoken about this outside of a podcast. Um, I always have a few spots that I leave spare um, for acute situations that where people need me just because they're the ones that are, that I also find fun um, for want of a better word, but they're the challenging ones that I, that I like to work out and go, you need to go and see this specific person. You see, a, you know, you need to see a sports psychologist or you need to go and see a um, psychiatrist or you need to, we need to, admit you into into some help so that those with any job when it's all sailing along easy jobs are easy but you know whether like i i have the most enjoyment in my job when i see athletes through the other end of a challenging situation they didn't think that they could get through Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. it like for for an example, Rowan um, finishing the end of last year the way that he finished, and then getting to the Giro and 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 doing what he did at the Giro, um, silencing critics. 
that made me, yeah, that, that stuff, that, that floats my boat. That's the reason why I do what I do. Yeah. Do you ever think of like training other people or like scale or how you can spread your wisdom further? Does anyone want it? I don't know. If, apparently. I don't know. Well, they've got my number, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, last question to wrap things up. Uh, out of this year, there's obviously been a lot of learnings. The world's progressed in many different ways. Do you think cycling will change out of COVID or we'll just go back to what we had? That's a difficult question to ask. I actually don't know. No, mm. no one's been through this. So um, I hope it changes for the better. I do because there's a lot of – there's an opportunity there to reset and, and write some, um, some detriments to overall – sport there is an opportunity there that whether whether the powers decide to take that opportunity or not remains to be seen yeah so i really hope so like i'm i'm what's the right word i'm, I'm optimistic um yeah. when it comes to when it comes to uh, an improvement but also there's some pessimism there because it's the sport's been around for a while and it got to this stage and it, yeah. you know, it's got worse stages in the past, but, you know, so, yeah. Thank you very much for your time, Dr. David Spindler. It's been a pleasure as always, and we look forward to checking in again sometime in the near future. Number four. Number four. Yeah, your annual, sp your annual spot. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, mate.